Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. You know, we're all messed up. We all know we're broken. I mean, we'd have to be crazy not to acknowledge that we're all broken in some ways. And we we long for healing for that brokenness. I mean, we're all in the same boat in that sense, aren't we? You know, and we long for people to be graceful and we long for people. And it's not that we even, you know, I don't think it's that we don't want to call sin, sin. I think, yes, we, we do. I don't think we mess around with that. Sin is sin. And that's, you know, God has defined that for us. But it's, I guess it's our response to those that, are longing for the forgiveness, that are longing to have the shame lifted, that are longing for a new beginning. It's, it's, that's where the grace comes in. That's where the forgiveness comes in. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. Welcome to the program. I'm Michael John Cusick. This is episode 13 of season two. And today, you'll be listening to the second part of a two-part conversation with Deborah Hirsch, author of Redeeming Sex. In this conversation, we touch on subjects of grace and shame and why it's so difficult to talk about sex and sexuality in the church. And before we jump into the conversation, I want to share a few quotes from Redeeming Sex along these lines. Deb writes, When we reduce Christianity to a negative system where fasting becomes more sacred than feasting, law wins out over grace and correct theology becomes more important than divine encounter, and we in effect become the modern-day Pharisees whose ministry Jesus was set against. Quote number two, Deb writes in Redeeming Sex, We must lead with our embrace, not our theology. When we lead with our theology, we tend to get all caught up in the, quote, wrongness of some people's behavior, and the humanness of the person is easily lost. And quote number three, Opening people up to redemptive forward principles will help them move closer to God way more than by telling them how far they fall short. Engaging with people wherever they find themselves or we find them, and then slowly and intentionally pointing them towards the ideals of the kingdom and therefore God is wonderfully liberating. These are all quotes from Deb from her book, Redeeming Sex, which I cannot recommend enough. So join me now for part two of my conversation with Deb Hirsch. Well, I would wholeheartedly agree with you that sexual sins and greed or any other sin, you know, gossip or anger, uh, that those are in one sense equal and that one is not worse than the other. Um, I wonder if you've thought about this, that the reason why there is so much judgment in 
shaming around sexuality is because at the core of our being, we're sexual persons, and yet there's so much shame around that. And my hypothesis is that the church has historically not known what to do with shame. I would agree. <laughs> well, how, so, how do we help? <laughs> yeah, so it's like we know what to do with guilt, right? You confess it, you confess it, you confess it. and But, but shame is not something that you can just get, get rid of like that. It's more like our skin that we live in. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. It is, and that's... Yeah, that's profoundly difficult. I've known people crippled with shame, and it really is. It's um, sometimes it takes a, a a really, you know, not just a healing touch of God, but a a new revelation of of how we view ourselves as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. It's it's very very difficult. Very difficult. Well, you wrote in redeeming sex you said our sexuality is indeed a powerful force it can lead us to something of an experience of either heaven or hell um and so on the one hand we've talked about how uh we we shouldn't take sexuality so seriously and yet on the other hand uh, the world is filled with people that have been wounded whether trafficked abused sexually assaulted and their sexuality becomes a taste of hell how can the church minister to and, and love uh, people that have been wounded in their sexuality, which is everybody. Yeah, well, it is everybody. That's exactly right. Well, I think that, I think the church, you know, um, I mean, there's lots of particularly, say, I mean, just one extreme, sex trafficking at the moment. There seems to be a very strong push in the church of lots of ministries, people engaging in that. I mean, of course, and that's the first step, isn't it, trying to get people out of that type of thing. The next and more often the, the lifelong thing is in helping them walk um, into healing. Now, you know, that is, again, depending on uh, where the person's at. I mean, healing can take forever, really, can't it? Um, you know, my own uh, work, um, like yours in a sense, was, you know, when I worked a lot in counselling and I was working with um sex addicts and some people that have got themselves into some very, very dark places uh, with their own expression, you know, uh, involved in all sorts of things. You know, they some of those um, men that I walked alongside, you know, healing was just little bit by little bit. Every now and again you'd get somebody who had a, a radical experience of God um, and, you know, felt not just healed from from some of the stuff involved, but there's a lifting of the shame and, you know, and the forgiveness of sins and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but more often than not, it was inch by inch. You know, we have to, sometimes it, it's hard to walk in freedom, isn't it? And hard to keep, you know, focusing on who we are in Christ and renewing our minds and new identity and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I, I guess in a sense, uh, how do we do it as a church? You know, it's individual on individual. It's, I think in the church, the whole, you know, shift over the last, well, last few decades of, you know, a lot more recovery type ministries available in, uh, churches, which is wonderful. You know, I think we've learned a lot from some of the 12 step movements. I think some of them have been really profoundly helpful. Um, you know, where we're cultivating groups and, and, places or spaces that are safe where people are able to share and able to support one another. Um, I think there's a lot of that in the church now, which is wonderful. Um, again, not enough, 
And and everywhere I speak, you know, particularly when I'm in church communities, they say, well, how do we follow this up? I mean, that's always a question. You know, we've ha- we've done a couple of hours sem- seminar and now what should our response be? And I think it's just we've got to get familiar with talking about it. I think that's the first thing because we still we still find it hard to just even talk about issues of human sexuality. And I think we've, yeah, we've got a long way to go from that angle um, where we just see it as just a normal part of uh, life and living and this is just one thing. I mean, at church uh, two weeks ago we were there and, um, you know, in a Sunday service, and you don't often see this very often, but, you know, talking about things and the guy got somebody up to share about some of the freedom he'd got from, you know, he'd had a profound uh pornography addiction and uh for you know every day of his life he had access pornography and and he'd been married some years ago and anyway uh remarkable he's been free from it for almost I think 12 months he said now and um and I think some people found they were a bit uncomfortable with the fact that this was shared in a morning service um and, you know, I mean, the pastor was great, you know, said, parents, if you've got kids and you're not going to be comfortable with this and all the rest of it. Um, and I don't know whether Sunday mornings are necessarily the best place, but it, but we've got to <laughs> we've got to provide some place where people can actually normalise this. Okay, this is something that I overcame and I'm living proof and a test, testament to God's healing and all of that. Um, you know, not just some of the other more easier things that we're able to share, you know. Yeah, if uh, if eighty percent of the people on a Sunday morning were coming intoxicated on crack cocaine, if the pastor didn't address that, you'd think that he was morally irresponsible. But the same thing is happening on Sunday morning with the number of people that are struggling with porn, and then when people address it, it's uh, it's stirring up people's shame. Yeah, it is absolutely, absolutely. No, you're right. So, but again, it's that that weirdness that we have around all things sexual. It's, and, and in a sense, it's meant to be there because, like you, you know, if you think about it, it's again, it's that most vulnerable part of ourselves. So, of course, it's going to be hard to talk about because we're revealing ourselves, and, and who likes to reveal those parts of themselves? We don't know how people are going to respond if they're still going to love us or are they going to reject us. It's all of that. It's a lot of fear around it. Yeah, the church has not done vulnerability very well, have we? No, we haven't. We still haven't. I mean, we just, yeah, I think I think we're starting to learn, but, yeah, we have a long way to go with that. I uh, speak a fair amount around the country on porn and sex addiction, and I find that when, when uh, I tell my story, the people just come out of the woodwork. And do you find that, even though you're not primarily talking about your story, that when you do go in somewhere – that you, it's like just pulling off um, a cover and people are just desperate to talk about sexuality in real terms? Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, I had a, a situation recently where I just happened to mention, was talking about the different types of um, homosexualities and, and just mentioned, you know, experimental type and, you know, that um, a lot more people are experimenting but then I also talked about um, often, you know, as we're growing up as, you know, just in our teens and that, you know, and I just mentioned that I had a number of clients that would come to me, this is years ago, who had experimented with their mates. So this, these were men and they'd experimented, you know, kind of um, with their sexuality with one another. And these were straight guys, but, you know, it was just part of their 
um, growing up and learning about their own bodies and, um, you know, and, and often that's not an uncommon thing. You'll have, you know, friends that mutual, ma- mutual masturbation and stuff like that. And, um, and after my session, and I just, again, mentioned that as a side thing, um, and how these clients would come to me and, and be fearful that they'd carry this forever, that maybe they were gay, um, because of this one incident that had happened with their friend back in school and um, and how, you know, they'd carry this shame with them about that. And um, I had a young man, I mean, and he said this in front of the whole group, he said, oh, my gosh, that's me. You know, I've carried that with me forever and I've never known what to do with it. And you just saying that now has just normalised it. It's given me a category for it and, and I just feel overwhelmingly like I'm just I'm experiencing a freedom um just knowing that and I thought even just something so simple like that um it it just it opens up it's like a domino effect isn't it um and just that that one time at that uh conference you know the conversations that went over the next couple of days and people coming out about all sorts of things uh was tremendous and again it's 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 that vulnerability. It's it's actually putting the conversation on the table so that people can respond in ways that they need to. And it's amazing how when there's a safe, non-shaming context, how people really do uh, trust and step into the light. Yes, they do because they want to. You know, we don't want to, but we want to as well. <laughs> right. We all want to be seen and known for who we really are, including yeah. things that we might believe are shameful. Yes, exactly. Uh, we all know the verse in John that says the truth will set us free, and we typically think of that as the truth about God. Therefore, just get more scripture, more uh, God reality into us. But it sounds like what you're naming is that you're helping people to understand the truth of who they are, both uh, the the glory and the, the image of God in them, and also helping to name some of the brokenness as well. Yeah. Yep, Absolutely. Absolutely, we don't know ourselves. We really don't, and it, it's it's a it's a shame we haven't been we haven't been taught how to navigate. I mean, even with all the psychology, you know, I mean, a lot of it, you know, a lot of stuff uh, people tend to read is the more pop versions of that. But with all the self help stuff out there, you would think that we would do a whole lot better than what we currently do. Um, but yeah, it's. We, we we do. We need to focus a little bit more in who we are and there is, you know, all of that, that that's got to happen for our own maturity and growth. I want to shift gears a little bit and it will seem to our listeners that this is a, a shift in an opposite direction, but I think it's the same direction. We've been talking so far about uh, what might be called broken sexuality um, but you point people toward the kingdom of God in your book as the solution. And oftentimes when people think of a solution to broken sexuality, they, they think immediately in terms of not sinning or in terms of everything being fixed. So in Redeeming Sex, as you wrote the book, you had a lens of grace, uh, grace, grace, grace for people that are outside the church, outside of the boundaries of what we typically think of as healthy or godly sexuality. Talk to me about that grace and where that lens came from in your story and in your ministry. Well, where it came from, I guess I'd have to just point to myself, wouldn't I? I'm somebody who has been completely uh, overwhelmed by God's grace. So, you know, I think 
you know, in, in writing a book, you know, and it is a book that where I write my own story in it, um, I can honestly, I can only say I was somebody who was lost and then I was found. So for me, um, the experience of God's grace was was one of the most powerful and profound things I ever had experienced. And, you know, writing the book really, and again, through the lens, you know, I, I write through the lens of a missionary. I have a, and it's always been with me, you know, uh, this kind of longing for for those that don't yet know Jesus to come into a saving knowledge of Jesus, as I have done in myself. And, and I guess, you know, in the context of the church, well, I think grace and love are powerful motivators, much more powerful than than guilt and judgment. <laughs> I think in the context of the church, I think we we resort to those as motivators and I think uh, they have damaged us um, greatly because we've become known as those people now, the, the judges and the, the graceless ones. And I think that, you know, whilst you can, you know, guilt does motivate, it's a short, short-lived motivation, isn't it? Um, yeah. So it's, and I think we've used it as a, I don't know, we've we've used it too often in the context of the church and I think it's brought us a lot of harm. So for me, I think the overwhelming conversation is um, that the church be, be the people of light and the people of grace and love that we are called to be. Um, and, you know, the particular slant, you know, like when we're looking at sexuality, it's I, I feel like that's the, the area that is, is so core to who we are and i think if we if we even if we just 5% just <laughs> moved a little bit more down the grace and just even 5% um i think that we would see such a powerful uh response by people uh that don't yet know jesus rather than the judgment and the way that we've you know kept them at a distance and all of that sort of stuff so for me, I do believe, you know, it's a, it's powerful and I do believe as we step out and be people of grace um, to others, you know, God's power can be unleashed in very, very powerful ways. And this is why it's important that we have um, communities where we can be um, open and honest because I think God's, God's grace can only be seen in brokenness, can't it? <laughs> There's no space for it in togetherness in that sense. Right, right. So I love what you're saying, and I agree with you. But Deb, what do you say to the person who says, yes, I'm all about grace, but the Bible says? Well, it's it's no contradiction there. The Bible says if the Bible calls something sin, it's not that we don't then call it sin. Um, it's just the way that we, that we respond to that sin. Um, rather than, you know, putting the scarlet letter on somebody, how about we have a different approach for once, you know? Um, so, you know, in our early uh, ministry, you know, back in Melbourne, you know, we did a lot of, you know, work among some of the working girls and, and the working boys as well, but but mainly the working girls, um, you know, pr- the prostitutes, both street prostitutes, mainly street prostitutes, but some in brothels. And these were some of the most um you know, broken but dear, you know, women that we met and and some of them had had terrible stories of being rejected by, um, you know, Christians and, the, you know, the, the negative light that they had of Christians was, um, you know, was just horrible. And and often thought to myself, if just, 
if we just shifted a little bit more and we're just that little bit more graceful, you know, people, it would just be different. We would have a different church today. It would be something so much more compelling for people to, to see. Well, it would be. I mean, the, the thing is, people know they're broken. You know, we're all messed up. We all know we're broken. Um, I mean, we'd have to be crazy not to acknowledge that we're all broken in some ways. And we, we long for healing for that brokenness. I mean, we're all in the same boat in that sense, aren't we? You know, and we long for people to be graceful and we long for people. And it's not that we even, you know, I don't think it's that we don't want to call sin, sin. I think, yes, we we do. I don't think we mess around with that. Sin is sin. And that's, you know, God has defined that for us. So we don't mess around with that. But it's, I guess it's our response to those that are longing for the forgiveness, that are longing to have the shame lifted, that are longing for a new beginning. It's, it's, that's where the grace comes in. That's where the forgiveness comes in. And I think that's where we've got to grow. And that's, and, you know, I, a number of years ago really felt that God was instituting a new season of grace uh, for those that were broken in their sexuality. And I, I believe he wants to do that through his church um, because we've not graced this area. I, I can't see anywhere in history <laughs> where we have been graceful towards those that we might say, um, are broken in their sexuality, which is all of us, let me just add. <laughs> um, you know, it's just the one area that remains ungraced. And I think that's a challenge for us. Just, again, just begin to, again, it's not condoning sin. It's just how we respond to those that are broken and that are messed up and that are stuck in, in repetitive cycles of sin. Yeah, as you mentioned, when we own the fact that we're all broken in our sexuality, it's much more difficult to point to the other who's unlike us and say that they're the ones that are broken. Oh, yes. And I mean, in my talks now, when I do seminars and that, I I talk very clearly about, uh, especially when I'm talking about the LGBT conversation, um, I talk very clearly about looking at that as uh, a micro-conversation. Um, and I don't mean unimportant when I call it micro, it's a profoundly important conversation, but I say it's a micro conversation that needs to be set back into the macro conversation, which is the bigger conversation about human sexuality. And one of the reasons why we need to set it back into the macro conversation is because in the macro conversation, we're talking about all of us. And so we need to go back to the fact that we are all sexual beings God created all of us as profoundly sexual, but we're also all profoundly broken in our sexuality. And so when we put us all into the conversation, then it's not just about those people over there, which can be the tendency of some people to isolate them and say it's them, it's those sexual minorities. Actually, no, it's all of us together. We all have to learn how to navigate this conversation. So I think that's really important because it shifts our posture um, and we don't get to point the finger anymore uh, because this conversation involves every human. As we begin to wrap up, where does the church in 2017 most need to redeem sex and what might this look like? Well, again, I think p- drawing up some of the th- themes that we've already talked about, I think um, the normalizing of sexuality, of human sexuality, that it's you know it's just part of the way w- who we are as humans part of the way God created us. God's not afraid of this stuff. It's, it's the way he, he uh, it was his idea in the beginning. Um, but, you know, again, so being able to talk about it, uh, 
making it get, getting a bigger vision for human sexuality beyond just genital connection. So we need a bigger picture of human sexuality. Uh, you know, very much. I think keep continue moving forward with lots of um, you know recovery groups. You know, providing context where people can. Um, be vulnerable, but again, we need to move it into bigger conversations as well, not just kept um, in you know in small groups. Again, it, it just as as communities recognizing these needs, and there's lots of conversations that need to be had as well. That you know uh, that are, I think are all under the bigger umbrella of human sexuality, and they're conversations um, not just around celibacy. And I think celibacy is a big one that we've got to have again because at the moment. The whole conversation around celibacy in the church is kind of appalling, really. It's and leaving most of our single people in the church feeling half-born, incomplete, and lacking God's blessing um, because they're walking the celibate path, and it's it's seen as like a temporal path, and and it's seen <laughs> almost seen as people being confined to to solitary confinement forever. You know, walking. You know, so there's got to be more positive conversations around human. Uh, sexuality in the path of celibacy and what it is to have union with Christ even, you know, we've got to talk way more about that. And that's not just for single people, that's for married people as well. Also, the conversations around redefining family are really important. If we are going to have uh, people walking the path of celibacy in the context of the church, then who is walking with them? Um You know, looking at the area of loneliness and how we can function as communities uh, rather than all, you know, being isolated in our nuclear families and all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of conversations that need to be had, but we need to have them. And and gender too, you know, I mentioned earlier, gender is a really important conversation. So I, I get, even though it feels overwhelming, I get excited about uh, what can be in the context of the church. So, yeah, so for me it's, you know, I love doing what I'm doing. I love getting around and sharing and talking and my fear is that I kind of leave and then they feel like they've done the sex stuff, <laughs> done the sex talk. Um, you know, I do hope that there's there's always follow-up and that we, you know, but I, I do have hope with it, particularly with the younger generation, I'm, and that's not just restricted to the younger generation, but certainly, you know, after I speak, uh, especially at chapel talks and stuff like that. These kids come up to me and they are saying it as they say it. There's no kind of flowering around or speaking in hushed tones. They're very honest and very open. And I think that openness needs to feed back into the community of faith because they are talking normally about these things in their broader life, but in the church, then then they have to kind of be quiet. So I think uh, I'm excited for the next generation that we can actually be a bit more honest in the church context about such issues. You've been listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. Learn more about how we cultivate freedom and wholeness of heart at RestoringTheSoul.com. dot